Hey, hey, welcome, counselor. You're listening to I'll See You at the Bar, the show for lawyers who are over it. I'm your host, Lisa Haster. If your law practice is driving you to drink when it should be driving in revenue, listen up. I'll See You at the Bar is tackling the challenges you face. Expert guests will meet me at the bar to weigh in on strategies and solutions that help you make more dough and gain back free time. And no lawyer can hold back a good you-can't-make-this-up war story. So I'll be sharing those too. Text a friend, grab a cocktail, and pull up a bar stool. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you in part by JD Sync. JD Sync virtually syncs attorneys with legal support staff as needed, saving you thousands in law office overhead. If you'd like to learn more, you can sign up for free at jdsync.com. That is jdsync.com or email support at jdsync.com. And we are live with Miss Francine Tone. Francine, are you with us? I am. Thank you, Lisa. Yes. I'm so excited to speak with you. You guys, we are so lucky to have Francine with us today. She is not only a lawyer, but she sat as a judge for, I believe, 20 years, was it? Did I hear that right? Right, as a pro temp judge. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay, she's also a number one best-selling author. She has 16 years of leadership advisory experience, and she's an elite athlete. And she just shared with me where she is right now. She's not sitting with me at the bar. Francine, tell our listeners where you are. I'm sitting on a beach in Hawaii watching the oh. surf come in. Wow, must be rough, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We went to schedule this interview. To my surfboard. <laughs> oh, how fun. Yes, you've created a fantastic life for yourself. And I know that you've told me you work with attorneys to help them um, create some life balance as well so they can enjoy doing the things that they like to do. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of my missions now is that there's no reason why lawyers have to be miserable working 80 hours a week. I just don't believe that. I never did. I'm never going to. No, good for you. In fact, what I have to share with our listeners that when you and I were going to schedule this interview, you said, well, wait, I have to check my surfing schedule. I go to Hawaii for two weeks at a time. I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. This woman has mastered, I think, work-life balance for sure. So we're really lucky to be with you. I want you to talk a little bit about being an elite athlete, Francine, and tell our listeners what sports you actually participate in and kind of some of your accomplishments, because they're very impressive, by the way. Okay, so um, I, I ski, and I am a full certified ski instructor. It's a level three in the United States, and as a result of that, I've also been a ski instructor trainer, and I've trained instructors to get their certification. And um, I'm also a stand-up paddleboard racer, podium finishing, and now I've turned that into surfing. I actually surf on a stand-up paddleboard. 
and I cool. do that starting at 5.30 in the morning until 5.30 at night. <laughs> and you've got all these cool pictures of you in um, your competitions, um, ski, uh, skiing, downhill skiing for sure. There's a dynamite picture of you on your website. Um, let Tell everybody what your website is. Oh, my website is my name, Francine Tone, T-O-N-E dot com. Very, yeah, you got to check it out. I mean, if she's got a really incredible website, and those pictures are fantastic. You'll just see how elite <laughs> she really is when you see her in action on those skis. Holy cow. I ski, and I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> so talk a little bit about how being an elite athlete aligns with the practice of law for you, Francine. Well, a lot of times that what I see lawyers, you know, they don't – really spend enough time doing something that's physical and that really allows their body and mind to kind of get step outside of the work arena. Right. And what I do is I come out here and I just go for it. I go for it whether I'm skiing or surfing. I just go for it. And you get a little adrenaline pumping. You know, all your great chemicals are pumping. And it really resets your mind. It resets your body so that you're in prime condition when you start working on your cases and when you are in the office. Right. And I just think that... You know, that, that's, that's a component that nobody talks about in law school. Nobody talks about it at the beginning of their no. practice, right? No. And I think that, you know, getting involved in some physical activities. I know some lawyers who they do marathons and or do triathlons. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's a great way to really eliminate stress in your life. You know, because being a lawyer can be Absolutely. very stressful. Oh. So you need an outlet, and I think you yeah. need an outlet of equivalent level of the kind of stress you can get as a lawyer. And I think that's where some really significant physical activity is that kind of level that you need. Isn't that the I truth? I mean, I see attorneys, you know, in court who I went to law school with just, you know, 19 years ago, and I can't believe how they've aged. It's, you yes. just have to wonder what kind of stress are they under, you know? All the hair loss and all the weight gain and the bad skin, and you're just, oh. There's, there's a better way out there, and, and Francine has the formula. You know, it's you're right. Attorneys do suffer from depression, anxiety, the fact that there's, you know, lawyers concerned for lawyers because there's such a high rate of drug and alcohol use along lawyers is really a concern. And it's, you know, you work with people to help them create this, this life um, work balance to avoid all of those sort of things that get out of control and create an unhealthy situation for everyone in a lawyer's life. Um, what are some of the things that you do when you work with lawyers, Francine? Well, one of the things I like to do is I like to go into the practice and look at how it's set up. Because a lot of times what happens is the lawyer, you know, they might hire staff, but they're not really trained to provide the kind of service that they could provide sure. to a client. So the lawyer ends up fielding a lot of calls, and you know, I, one of my CLE courses, like I stand there and go, I start out with this cartoon, and it gets a few chuckles. There's two lawyers sitting at lunch, and one lawyer is saying, "Hey, this is the practice of law, great," and the other guy has a bubble and going, "Yeah, but I didn't have any flipping clients," and you know, <laughs> and I know that that's kind of Problem. a running joke among us, right, as lawyers. But this idea that sometimes clients can be so frustrating, and Right. But you can eliminate that. You can actually eliminate the frustrated client. Yeah, you with, can. But with some of the things that, you know, you tell them in advance, and it's like I know lawyers spend a lot of time setting expectations. Right. But the fact is I don't think they really 
really address some of the things that the client is going through. They don't really see it from the client's point of view. And until you do, you're not giving them everything they really need. Yeah, they're very good at spotting issues and not relating to, um, well, for a lot of women too, just the emotional aspect of being engaged in litigation or even if it's not litigation, you know, for me, my estate planning clients, it's pretty typical to see some tears from time to time because, you know, people don't want to think about the what ifs. It's a scary thing. And so you're absolutely right. We in law school don't even touch on on, you know, right. on, on relationships with clients. We really don't. No, we don't. And, you know, when you look at the rules of ethics, basically the rules of ethics are there as kind of a bare minimum. And almost every lawyer I know follows the rules of ethics, except for the few that, you know, get this far, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but most lawyers follow the rules of ethics, and they're, they're fine. But um, it was interesting because one of the rules that I touched on was the communication rules about how much how you need to communicate with the client, let them know about, you know, what is the, what's going on in the case, send them copies of the documents, and everybody does that automatically. And at the end of it, in the California rules, which are a little bit different from the American Bar Association model rules, there's a little commentary that says, if you do this, which is a bare minimum, you will not be dis you will not be disciplined. I'm thinking, is that the litmus test that I won't be disciplined? Oh my God, and right? So, right, and so that's what's going on is the lawyers are, of course, meeting all of their ethical obligations. But that's just to avoid discipline. They don't realize that's all that does is avoid discipline. It doesn't address the client's needs. And it doesn't take any more time. Actually, by really addressing the client's needs from their point of view, you actually eliminate a lot of the problems that you have with clients. You eliminate their constant calling. Yeah. You eliminate their questioning. And they're happier. And those clients, I mean, that's what I've done. Is they become my champion clients. So I, don't, I just keep getting referrals. Our office Great. runs on a complete referral service wow. because our clients love us. And we do litigation as well. And it's not because we win all our cases. I'd like to say we do, but I don't know any lawyer that wins all their places. So I can't say that. Right. They know like. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it's not the winning and losing that's the, the test for the client. The test for the client is do I feel like this lawyer cares about me? Right. Absolutely. And you know, your book really addresses that, that very topic. And in fact, it makes not only the life of the client easier, but the life of the lawyer easier. Yes, exactly. Tell them about your book. So my book, I finally wrote, wrote this book because over the years, I've been repeating myself over and over and over. And I never charged my client for this time because it was pulling them into the legal system in a kind of very humane way to mm -hmm. let them know and understand. And my key point was not just to give them the information, but to make sure they understood what I was saying so that when something happened, they weren't taken by surprise. I just didn't want clients to be taken by surprise. And I learned about this because before I became a lawyer, I worked in a law, several law offices for 10 years. And I've watched some really good practices, some practices that were not good at all, and some were in between. And I learned a lot by watching. And I decided I did not want to have the kind of clients that some of these lawyers had. Right. And, you know, and it's like, who wants to have a headache? No. I, I, don't, I didn't become a lawyer to be miserable. I right. became a lawyer to help people. Right. So, um, so I learned my lesson by watching, and I started then making sure all my clients had this expectation. And I realized, you know, after many, many years of doing this, like, well, I should put this in a book. Yeah. And yeah. So that's what I did. I wrote in a book. And basically, it's advice that lawyers give over time 
But what I found is that by giving them the information, giving the clients the information way, way, way in, in advance, then when something happens, they go, oh, right, you told me about this. So it's instead of being surprised and then right. explaining it, because now it sounds like you're just, you know, being defensive. And backtracking, right. You know, yeah, you're making excuses. And sometimes the client's like, oh, you're just like the other side now. And, you know, that's not what the lawyer is doing, but it, that, that little bit of trust gets, kind of gets lost. Right, right. Even you've talked so much about trust and, you know, how ethics became um, such a huge part of your practice and a really quite a focus area for you as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about your upbringing and how there were some challenges um, for you? And, you know, I mean, it it just, I I, I listened to an interview, um, Mike Kanigs, who if the listeners don't know who he is, should. He is a huge, you know, serial entrepreneur, I'll call him, and an 11-time best-selling author. And he is a coach and advisor of many successful entrepreneurs. He interviewed you. Um, you spoke a little bit about your childhood and how there was a breach of trust at a very early age. Tell our listeners a little bit about that so they can understand the, your connection, your personal connection to ethics. Sure. So um, I'm half Japanese and I was born in Japan. But my mother, my biological mother, passed away when I was one years old. And my biological father left me with my Japanese grandmother. And I, she raised me until I was five and I was adopted because I didn't know I was adopted. I, initially, I thought my parents finally just came to get me. Oh, wow. And, and then it was one summer day outside playing with friends and they started circling around me. Your mother's dead. Your mother's dead. And I ran home crying. And that night, my adopted parents informed me that I was adopted and I had uh, lost my mother. Well, it wasn't long after that that Jeez. my adopted father began molesting me. And I lived under that reign until I was 20. And my mother oh my was apparently powerless to do anything about it if she even knew. And later on, when I was working with battered women syndrome, I just realized that she was a battered woman as well. Sure. So, so by the time I was six, I had wow. nobody to trust, no one to turn to. And I had this life of you know, not knowing where to do, what to do, where to go, and lost, and and it was only later, I'm, I'm watching, I always tell people this is kind of funny, I know, but I was watching the Perry Mason show, and, you know, he was a defense attorney, and people would come every week. I love Perry Mason, was, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it was, it would come every week with falsely accused of murder, yep. and they would come to him and say, you're the only one I can trust, you're the only person I can turn to, so I was about eight when I started watching so I started, that was my hero. Was wow, he just resonated with you. Yeah, because he's the guy I could trust. Because uh-huh. that's what everybody said. I could trust yeah. Perry Mason. And as I grew up, I realized I wanted to become Perry Mason. Uh-huh. And so that's what I did. And I realized that when I was in law school, I really got into ethics because I went, wow, you know, if I, I grew up without having anyone to trust. I didn't want other people to feel that way. And as I became an attorney, I thought, I want to be that Perry Mason, the one that everybody can trust. So I went kind of you know, hog wild when it came to ethics, and so it was so bad because sometimes I would get the answers wrong to multiple choice questions because I would hold myself to such a high standard that that was the wrong answer because actually the standard was a little below. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, the choo- choose the most right. I always love those questions. Right. Oh man. Gosh. So. 
so that's why it, that became such an important part of my practice is that my I wanted to make sure my clients never doubted that I was on their side. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. I think sure. that's really special. Speaking of sharing, um, you offer a really unique opportunity to attorneys to kind of share your copyright license on the book that you wrote that is a number one bestseller. Um, can you right. can you explain a little bit further for the listeners what what that would look like? So if, if I were to jump on board and say, hey, Francine, I want to get in on your copyright license, what would that mean for me? What would I get out of it? Okay, so basically you would get the book I already wrote, and it's a number one bestseller. And my book has my picture splattered on the front and my name really big on the front. But if you were to write, let's say, a, a chapter, one chapter on estate planning, uh -huh. the kind of things that you tell your clients repetitively, so sure. that you would put it in a book, put it in a chapter, and we put the chapter in the book, we change the cover up so it would have your name, and if you want your photograph on the front, that would be fine. And I'm going to leave cool the number that? one... Right? Whatever, we'll just design the cover the way you want, however way you would like to have it look for your office. Okay. And we keep the number one best-selling um, sticker on sure. it, right, because it is still a number one best-selling book, and you get the copyright license to use my book. So you can basically so get cool. your chapter with my book, your name, and it'll be in small print with my, you know, with fancy tone. And so we highlight your photograph, we highlight your biography on the back of the book we highlight your chapter at the beginning of the book and put your name on the front that cover is with so the cool right and so then they, you give that you, and those are you know it's a giveaway and you give it away to your clients and like now I give my book to my clients as a condition of working with me it's like you have to read this book and it's again and, the book that focuses on some of the expectations some of the pitfalls, some of the things that pop up that can create volatile situations and, you know, highly emotional things, <laughs> you know, um, and right. so you're avoiding that surprise. It's, it's, I think this is genius and I think every lawyer should be doing this. Yeah, a good example, any lawyer who's ever had to settle a case, you know, has had to explain to the client why we're talking settlement. And I've seen it from both sides as a lawyer representing a client as well as a judge pro tem who I've got two people or an arbitration when I've done arbitrations, two people on one side is always like, why am I trying to settle this? Mm -hmm. And I've heard them even say, you know, is my lawyer just doesn't want to represent me anymore. I'm like, no, that's not what's going on. <laughs> that isn't what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? right? And so, you know, even settlement, to know ahead of time before anybody broaches this concept of settlement, at the very beginning in a litigation case, or in any case, or even you have to settle even estate planning sometimes, is I tell them in the book what settlement is all about, why settlement is such a great option. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going to work, but they need to know. And actually, I repeat myself, you know, kind of in a couple of different places about settlement because we all know if we can settle a case, it's better for the client to be done with the lawsuit, right, than drag it out for years and years. And by knowing this ahead of time, the client is not quite second-guessing the lawyer when they say, well, you know, we should discuss settlement. They're in the proper so, mindset when they go into the negotiation, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it was really cool is right after my book came, um, came out, my husband, who's an attorney, had an arbitration that was coming up, and two guys were just battling it out. Jeez. And he sent a copy of my book to the client. I didn't even know he'd done it. And then 
he tells me that the client just called. He goes, oh, he called to tell me they just wrote, read the book, and he's so happy. He finally gets it now. And we didn't know what he meant by that. But what he meant was he finally understood all of the workings of the legal system and, and why going to arbitration was a good idea, why talking settlement was a good idea. And when he got to arbitration, he just sat there very calmly, kind of like punching my husband on this side and the ribs on the other side was getting all excited. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I know about that. I read about the book. Oh, how and, funny. <laughs> you know, mm. and so basically it helps the client become a team member mm -hmm. of the litigation team or the legal team as opposed to this person who's freaking out because right. they don't understand what's going on. Right. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. You were telling me about this when we spoke a couple weeks ago, and I thought, geez, every attorney needs to jump on this. So if someone yeah. wants to reach out to you because they're interested in learning more about how to um, share that copyright license of yours on your book, how would they do that, Francine? What's the best way to get in touch with you? The uh, best way is just send me an email. And my email is um, frantone, F-R-A-N-T-O-N-E, at toneandtone, all spelled out, dot com. Awesome. That's easy to remember. Yeah. Super cool. Or so, they, can go to my, they can even go to my website, francinetone.com, and you know, send me an email from there. Sure. Schedule an appointment from there as well, and I'll get back to them. Perfect. That sounds great. So hopefully we have some listeners who are going to reach out to you and take advantage of that because that's such a cool opportunity. And as you and I know, we're both authors. It's There's a lot that goes into becoming a best-selling author, a whole lot. So this is a much easier way of taking advantage of your ability to create that legal authority that you want to gain in your community and kind of set yourself apart from your competitors. I think it's just super, super cool. Now, I want, you know, in, in that in that um, Mike Koenig's interview that I was watching, you spoke about a guy named Kevin, and I don't know if he's a hypothetical client or a real guy. <laughs> um, but Kevin is a real guy. Kevin's a real guy, and Kevin is a lawyer, and Kevin hired you to do some strategic consulting and advising with he and his firm and and share that experience because I think you know a lot of we lawyers we want to believe we're doing everything right and we have a hard time stepping back and seeing that there might be some gaps in the way that we conduct our law practices and to get a new set of eyes in there right. um, I think is just invaluable it's tremendous and that's that's really what you do so can you kind of walk us through some of the aha moments that Kevin had um, when he consulted with you right so the big one was his um, intake process because you can't call Kevin and talk to a human being to make an appointment they, <laughs> <laughs> you had to go through this automated telephone system and schedule an appointment and the appointment scheduling, and that's, you know, the automated appointment system, which, like, even on my website, there's an automated place where you can go and click and schedule an appointment. Uh -huh. But when you do that, I actually call you back. Right. You have a secretary or somebody call you back, and you're not going to get an email saying, oh, by the way, we had to cancel that because something happened. Right. So, so I went through that process um, through his office, and, you know, I, I think automation is fantastic. That's one of the ways you can reduce the amount of time that you spend in the office by using oh, some automated services, right? And, and there's so much available today. It's great, mm -hmm. but you have to gauge it with the, the mental attitude that the client is calling you. Most clients are calling you because they've got a problem. So they're not like somebody who just wants to 
buy bath oil or something. Right, right. <laughs> right? Or schedule a hair appointment. Right. So, so I went to this automated system and I scheduled the appointment and then I ended up in this nightmare of getting notices. Oh, he was delayed in court, so he has to re- you need to reschedule. So now I have to reschedule. Oh, sorry, that appointment took too long, so can you reschedule? Constantly rescheduling. <laughs> right. and I thought, man, if I was a client, I'd say, I'm done. Yeah. I, I'd call somebody yeah. else. There's plenty of lawyers out there. There's Absolutely. There's lawyers in this country. You know, you're not the only one doing whatever it is you're doing. And sure. It, and it's like anything else. And this client is already, you know, upset. And then to go through right. that, it's like, oh my gosh, you could be losing some great clients over a silly little automated system. Right. And, and it's like, you need to have the human factor in there very quickly. I agree. Right? As I completely agree. Just letting the automation, you know, and automated emails going out. I think that works for a lot of different types of service companies, not lawyers. Not it's at all. Because of the, the, as a mental attitude that the client is in when they call your office to begin with. I agree with you. Completely agree. So what other types of things have you come upon? Not Maybe not necessarily in Kevin's practice, but in other practices. What are some other types of sort of like, you're sort of like the, the law firm fixer. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. So I had this one gal give me a call because she was, um, she's a solo practitioner. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot. She represents a lot of the, the, the you know, the, the people who have bank loans and credit Issues. So she basically is a credit debtor's attorney. Sure, like and a consumer's right person. Exactly. And so she was always up against the big banks and the big institutions. Mm-hmm. And and they would send, you know, the big law firm, right? So it was David and Goliath situation. Right. And so, so Goliath would show up with sometimes three to four lawyers on one side. So you're, you're, she is at counsel table, one person. And at the other table, there could be three or four lawyers. And the client's sitting back, they're going, oh, my gosh, we're getting out, out gun. Yeah. And they would say things like that to her. And it would start questioning whether or not she could handle the case. And, oh, geez. And, and I spent some time with her. I'm like, this woman is good. She's smart. She does her homework. She uh-huh. knows all of very on top of the law. And um, and it wasn't because she – it just had the appearance of the client. So I, I, t- I say, here, have them read one of my books. And, you know – just show them about this and then when they came back because it wasn't because they had already had a relationship reading one of my books they were able to look at that and go oh I understand that 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 doesn't mean that you can't do the job just because they sent four lawyers doesn't mean that they're better or smarter or actually beating her up right when that wasn't what's happening right right and they do that I think I don't know why big firms send four lawyers to have a law motion argument I never understand why they do that what a waste of money but I don't either But, um, but from the client's point of view, one day, and then it was, for that client, it was, I think it worked because it was a book that I had written, not that she had written, and because the client's relationship had already been established. But if she mm-hmm. had a book like mine to give that client before, right. before the, you know, the very beginning of the practice, right. then the client would never have questioned that relationship or the David Goliath situation. They would have been fine. Right. And it sounds like there could have been some sort of mindset things right. going on with her, the attorney herself as sure. well, you know, and, and you do, you work with people to try to shift that as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I've been in that situation too, um, 
where I've been the David in the David and Goliath situation, and I look over and I'm thinking, you know, oh my God, there's four lawyers against me. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it's intimidating. It can be. It, it can be, right? And, and you do have to make a mind shift change and then all of a sudden look within and say, I've done my homework, I know, and stand up with a straight spine and talk to the judge with that strength. But you need to believe in that. Otherwise, you do, you know, your voice will quiver. Somebody's going to uh -huh. know something. Yep. So it's, it's really being able to feel very confident in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's very, very true. Now, um, you and I spoke a little bit about, I always ask my experts, what are you doing now that's working for you? You know, what are, um, what are some tips that you have for the listeners, um, aside from being an elite athlete, because most of us aren't, <laughs> what are some other, what are some quick action steps that we can take to kind of, um, whatever, Maybe it's to create work-life balance. Maybe it's just, you know, as easy as, I, I like to meditate every morning. But do you have any, any suggestions that you find work for your <laughs> clients? Or do, does it range, you know, greatly based on who the client is? Yeah, it, it depends a lot on the client. Sure. A really sophisticated client, like a business client, you know, what you tell them is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But um, I will say this, because I had a, an attorney mention this to me. He goes, oh, your continuing education talk, that's great for, you know, if you're doing family law or criminal law, but I work in big business and my clients are sophisticated. No. And, you know, I work for, I work for corporations. I'm like, no, corporations are run by people and people that's are people. Right. <laughs> and, and so here's, this, this is a tip that I'm going to give everybody, regardless of what your practice is, the kind of stuff that I talk about in my continuing education course to make sure that clients are prepared is the same whether there's big corporation, tiny little person, criminal defendant, family law, doesn't matter no. because people are people and when people get upset about anything, they have the same kind of reaction. I completely agree. Completely right. agree. Yeah, that's and something so I need the, to keep in mind. Right. And so it doesn't really matter who your client is. The kind of information you need to share with the client is not that different. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Completely. Now, CLE speaking, you do a lot of um, ethics-related CLE courses, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so, uh, just you know, for our listeners, if you, it seems like everybody's always leaving those ethics credits for last, you know, and rushing to get them in at the last moment before they have to report. <laughs> so, if you've got a situation like that, or if you are unlike me and you don't procrastinate. Um, think ahead and give Francine a call or shoot her an email and um, have her come and speak at your event because you're very good at what you do, Francine. And I think, you know, you're you're very personable. A lot of speakers at CLEs put us to sleep. So it's kind of, it'd be refreshing <laughs> to learn ethics from you, I think. <laughs> well, thanks. That was one of my goals is I decided, you know, I, I've, I'm just like everybody else. I've taken a lot of CLE courses and... It's like, why do they have to be so boring? Right? Oh, they're the worst. Oh, man. And I decided I was, I'm not going to give one unless I can have a little fun with the course. Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's, you know, it's an important, important, every CLE course we take is important. The topic is important. There's no reason why we can't have some fun. And I, this is, you know, you asked me, what's working for me? Mm -hmm. What's working for me is I go out of my way to find things that are fun. And yeah, that's what 
being an elite athlete, from my point of view, it's really about having fun. And lawyers get so serious because we have to be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> lawyers, get out there and have some more fun. <laughs> exactly. Go find something fun to do. And, and maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's just reading a nonfiction, you know, a fiction book. Yeah. Or even. Um, I love reading. You know, every day spending a little bit of time doing something that maybe you did when you were a kid. Yeah, and, I love it. You know, and one of the things that I was just telling a group of people that I was talking to, they're all adults. I said, remember when you were a little kid, how sometimes you would go up or down the stairs and you would skip steps? You would like yeah, jump yeah, over yeah. a step, going up or jump down a couple of steps, coming down. And I told this group of adults to do that. And they were giggling and having fun. And I Aww. said, do that. See, that's cool. Just go do that. Just, just gallop or skip or yeah. <laughs> chasse. <laughs> be a little goofy. Be, you know, let your hair down a little bit. And, and uh, so many lawyers that I meet, are, they get so serious with themselves, and they lose the ability <laughs> to have fun. Well, if we have any lawyers who are chasseing their way up to the to the to the bench, <laughs> we'll blame you, Francine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then. And, Oh, they're the best judges. Everybody wants they to are. appear in front of the, the you know, exactly. the, the guy they, who can, yeah. who yeah. can so no throw out a witty joke. Right. No reason why if you're a lawyer, you can't be doing the same thing. That's absolutely right. Well, Francine, we'll leave it at that. We like to end on a fun note. And we'll <laughs> let you we'll let you get back to your surfing because that sounds like even more fun. Thank you so much it for is. being with us. I think Thank we learned so a lot much. today. And we're going to put all of your contact information um, along with the link to this podcast so our listeners know how to get in touch with you and then did you tell me that you were handing out free copies of your book or did I just did I misstate that you know what if, if somebody emails me and wants to copy my book I'll, I'll give them a copy of my book yay okay good thank yeah. you for that and I, I need to read your book I haven't read it yet I need to get oh. on that I need to do that alright that's on my list of to do's Okay, Francine, we'll let you get back to your waves. Have a great rest of your day, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. And until next time, I'll see you at the bar.